I lost my best friend. I lost my sister. A Métis woman is strangled at her front door in the spring of 2002. It was a tough one right from the get-go. And there's a single suspect. And I said, why is this man still walking free? He was just a con man and a manipulator. I'm David Ridgen, and this is The Next Call, the case of Terry Dauphiny. Available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Matt Galloway, and this is The Current Podcast. The scenes are chaotic. Palestinians in Gaza, desperate for food, rush into the sea to scramble for aid dropped from the air. I was lucky and able to get one of these aids. But what about all those other people who were not able to get this aid? Look, this one didn't get any, and this one didn't get any. We need more, and we need it distributed in a better way. This will not stop our hunger. Canada and the United States are now considering joining countries like the UK and France in dropping aid because delivering adequate aid on the ground is near impossible. Yesterday, more than 100 people were killed waiting for trucks to deliver aid. Palestinian officials said those waiting were killed by Israeli gunfire. Israeli forces say most people died in a stampede toward the trucks. More than 2 million people in Gaza are at imminent risk of famine, according to the United Nations. Sama Hadid is a humanitarian worker with the Norwegian Refugee Council. She's in Amman, Jordan. Sama, hello. Hello. When you see those scenes of desperate people wading into the sea to try to catch aid that is dropped from the sky, what goes through your mind? That the situation is utterly catastrophic. People are reaching breaking point and they're desperate uh, for any morsel of aid that they can get. Uh, And this is why uh, the situation has to change immediately. Uh, There needs to be an urgent scale up of aid. But in order to allow this, Gaza needs a ceasefire. We've been saying that for months because that is the only way aid can be scaled up safely. How effective are these airdrops in delivering aid? As I mentioned, Canada and the United States are now considering joining other nations and trying to figure out a way if, and we'll talk about what's happening on the ground in a moment, but if it's not safe on the ground, um, to, they're trying to figure out a way to drop aid from the sky. How, how effective is that? Well, uh, airdrops are not typically uh, the first uh, choice for aid delivery. They have been... Uh, seen to be ineffective and not targeted. The fact that we've reached the point where states have to use airdrops in Gaza is, I think, um, another major failure of the international community and a major policy failure because government allies of Israel could actually push Israel more to open up the land crossings, to allow more aid trucks in, to push them to restore electricity and water and lift the siege on Gaza. This is the fastest and most effective way to allow aid in. I mean, our aid workers on the ground tell us that it's unimaginable that an entire population is left to starve in Gaza, whilst vast amounts of aid and aid trucks are just waiting a few miles away across the border. That is being denied entry. If if aid is dropped from the sky, um, and it's not a perfect solution, but it is, it, it's it's one way to address what's happening on the ground. Is it better than nothing? It's absolutely the last resort uh, for a desperate population in in need uh, of aid. I think all access options need to be pursued, but Israel should not be allowed to continuously deny aid. 
and blockade. Uh, it's women and children who are paying the price for that. Israel is the occupying power and has a duty to ensure the provision of food and supplies for Gaza's population, but it's failed to do so. And allies of the Israeli government have failed to hold Israel to account on this. Jan Egeland, the Secretary General of the Norwegian Refugee Council, told CNN that aid trucks can't move from the south to the north because of Israeli checkpoints, that they may be crossing in the south, but it's impossible to get to the north where the situation is especially dire. What are you hearing from from your colleagues on the ground about that? That there are severe restrictions uh, into the north of Gaza, and there have been restrictions for the UN uh, convoys as well. Uh, the north of Gaza has been cut off from aid for weeks now, and famine is an imminent and growing threat in that area. Uh, we're already seeing reports of children dying of dehydration and malnutrition in those areas. Uh, so the north of Gaza is particularly dire and and uh, horrific. Um, and that's why we need to see uh, the lifting of these restrictions to allow aid trucks to enter safely. But law and order is a problem. Um, there's chaos on the ground. And this is why we need a ceasefire so that aid can be distributed safely to the desperate, desperate civilians uh, who need this to survive. He also said, and, and you've hinted at this, that, that Israel could help alleviate this pressure by opening the Carne crossing in the north. The suggestion is that Israel is considering doing that. What kind of difference would that make? It would make a huge difference uh, because the north is shut off at the moment and cut off from aid. And so we need Israel to open up the Karni crossing, the Erez crossing, uh, to allow more aid trucks into the Rafah crossing and Karem Shalom crossings. Right now, uh, we're not reaching that you know amount that's needed before the conflict, at least 500 uh, trucks a day were allowed to enter Gaza. And that hasn't been seen uh, since the 7th of October. There have been warnings that civil order in Gaza is deteriorating or has already deteriorated because of the, the scale of desperation, but also the lack of a police force in Gaza because of, of the ongoing uh, bombing there. What does that do, that lack of civil order, in terms of complicating? It's not just it, the ability to move aid from the south to the north, but also to make sure that aid can be distributed safely. It's absolutely crucial to have the Gazan security force in place to give them the safety they need uh, to secure the aid convoys going in and the aid trucks going in because of the lack of security on the ground. Uh, but these police force units have said that Israel has targeted them uh, and they've been bombed. Uh, so it's unsafe for them to continue um, safeguarding the, the aid convoys going into different areas of Gaza. They need uh, to be allowed to uh, safely um, accompany these convoys so that aid workers can distribute aid to desperate civilians in need. But this isn't happening because Israel continues to bombard uh, these areas and target these police force units. In the absence of that, is is the chaotic scenes of, of what happened yesterday. And again, there's a dispute as to what actually unfolded. Israel saying one thing, uh, Palestinians on the ground and journalists uh, who are working for international agencies that are Palestinian are saying something different. But is, is the the lack of that order do you worry that that's going to lead to more scenes like we saw yesterday? 
it will lead to more horrific incidents like this and and loss of life. Uh, This is why we need an urgent uh, ceasefire in place uh, so that aid can be distributed safely and civilians accessing aid uh, are not targeted in this way. Uh, Civilians are being slaughtered and starved in Gaza, and this cannot continue. Is your sense just finally... To your point, people have been warning about this, warning that civilians in Gaza are on the doorstep of famine for for weeks, maybe months now. Is your sense that that message is getting through in a different way now than it has been in in past? I think that there is growing pressure now on Israel uh, to allow more aid in, to lift restrictions. But unfortunately, uh, we haven't seen the difference on the ground. Uh, we've only seen the situation uh, worsen by the day. And now the entire population of Gaza is facing food shortages. Half a million of people in Gaza face starvation. Enough is enough. We need uh, government allies of, of Israel to put pressure, to increase their pressure and leverage so that aid can be delivered uh, to those in desperate need. Samah Hadid, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Samah Hadid is the regional head of advocacy in the Middle East for the Norwegian Refugee Council. She was in Amman, Jordan. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We're in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. At the end of January, Canada committed another $40 million in aid to organizations that are helping people in Gaza, but the money will not go to the main humanitarian aid provider in that region, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA. Canada and more than a dozen other countries have suspended funding to UNRWA following allegations by Israel that some of that group's workers were involved in the October 7th Hamas terror attacks. Those allegations are under investigation. Earlier this week, Canada's Minister of International Development, Ahmed Hussein, had this to say to reporters. We've paused funding to, for any additional funding pending the investigation. The ball is in their court. But, it is uh, but we are working with them to make sure that, A, the investigation is concluded, but also that there is a transparent, comprehensive investigation. While we do that, we've provided $40 million additional to, to the other organizations. And I've, I just came back from the region, and Canadian aid is making a difference, and we're even exploring other options, including uh, airdrops. Airdrops. Airdrops of aid into Gaza, in partnership with like-minded countries like Jordan. Lloyd Axworthy is the chair of the World Refugee and Migration Council. He also served as Canada's Minister of Foreign Affairs from 1996 through 2000. He is in our Ottawa studio. Mr. Axworthy, good morning to you. Uh, Good morning to you, Matt. What do you think of Canada considering airdrops as a means of delivering aid to people in Gaza? Well, I think there's a word for it called placebo, which is a medical term meaning that you provide what people think is going to be a solution, but in fact it has no impact. And I think that uh, this is just a a way of avoiding the the important decision that has to be made, which is to begin to restore funding to UNRWA. It's the uh, most effective and broad-reaching development agency in the entire Middle East. Mm And to cut it off because of the allegations and waiting for investigations I mean you're just uh, accentuating the, 
the horror and the famine and the difficulty. And that's why our council, which represents people from right across the world, including several members who come from the Middle East, say, look, at uh, this has to be restored before the entire system collapses because the other aid agencies depend upon UNRWA uh, to, uh, to help deliver and support. Is, all, is dropping it, aid from the air better than doing nothing in the face of, of what's going on? We just heard how difficult it is to deliver aid on the ground. Is, is that, I mean, is it fair to say that it's a placebo? A placebo by its very nature does nothing at all. It's just a pill filled with air or water or something yeah, like that. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I, I use the word uh, specifically because I think that's what it is. Uh, I mean, uh, you start dropping from the air, you're going to see uh, sort of a, a renewal of the kind of visions we have where people are sort of, massing around fighting for uh, who gets the the drop package there's no distribution system there is no management of it uh, the, look let's let's say we let's make the real decisions they're tough decisions but that is to restore funding use our diplomatic convening power to start bringing countries together and as we said in the statement that we released uh, just yesterday that uh, it's important to consider how third parties' involvement can provide better security for the delivery of aid. This is not a new concept. It goes back uh, 20, 30 years. We did it in Bosnia when, when we were, well, you have to have some form of security to ensure that uh, the aid and the development uh, resources get to the right places. Can I ask you, as a former politician, um, you've been around the, the table when policy decisions are discussed and when policy decisions are made. CBC was reporting that Canada and Canadian officials haven't seen the evidence that Israel has presented that members of UNRWA were part of the October 7th attacks. Why do you think this federal government made this choice to suspend this funding and seems to be sticking by that decision? Well, to begin with, uh, nobody has seen the evidence yet. I think just the report that came out yesterday said that the, uh, Israel has not yet provided the evidence for the allegations they made. And there is investigations going on, and I, I certainly support the necessity to investigate and inquire. But in the meantime, as you would say, uh, people are starving and dying. Why have, we, and why have we made that decision, do you think? Because I think there's uh, there's been a sort of a, uh, I would get almost a sort of, um, ethic uh, that whatever is happening there, uh, we can make rhetorical responses, but we don't want to actually get on the ground to do serious things like providing uh, uh, a, a protective mechanism, a protective agency or force to ensure that the not only does the aid continue, that those, some of the violence and some of the horrendous uh, killing stops but from what both is, what, sides. What is that about? I mean, what, what is at the root of that, do you think, that the government... People have accused the government of having, uh, in, in, in their words, a, a confused or a muddled policy towards what's going on. What is, what's at the root of what's happening, do you think? Well, I think because there is such a division or schism in, in opinions in the country. And one of the things that we've, we've been calling for is to say, you know, one of the things that government could start doing is to bring together uh, the competing sort of views domestically between those supporting Israel's position and those supporting Palestinians as if they were uh, and saying let's find some bridges and let's find some brokerage let's find a consensus that would enable us to provide for the uh, ongoing support so there isn't a disaster well more of a disaster 
and at the same time uh, begin to looking at some longer-term issues. We, mm. we uh, Matt, we're saying that Canada has demonstrated many times over that it's got a certain diplomatic cachet. It's a it particularly inconvenient people using its diplomatic efforts to start finding solutions, and uh, it's I certainly understand the. Uh, voices of regret and calling for uh, the stopping of the violence and the ceasefire. But in the meantime, there's a lot of people who are, are going are gonna to die as a result. And that's why I think Canada should uh, uh, have a serious uh, discussion in Parliament. It should have a serious discussion with the other parties. And within even, even in the government caucus where there's division, bring them together. Let's start having, let's start doing something that is a unifying vision for Canada as opposed to one that we're just sort of dodging uh, the kind of competing positions. You've suggested we go further than that. The World Refugee and Migration Council has suggested there should be a protective mission in Gaza. Yes. What would that mean? That sounds like a peacekeeping mission in some ways. Well, it's a variation. Uh, I think uh, we didn't use the word peacekeeping because some find it sort of difficult. I think the Americans in particular n never have understood what peacekeeping means. But you, you, you uh, see it as, a, name aside, a similar sort of approach. Yeah, I, I think you have to provide people on the ground, third parties who are acceptable. Uh, you've got countries like Jordan and Brazil and others that who are, are deeply concerned of what's going on. But now they have to produce. But countries like Canada and, and where we have the resources and the capacity have to pro provide the backup, the logistics, the resources, the money, uh, the communications. There has to be an international effort, and we've forgotten. You know, one of the things that we're suffering from uh, generally throughout the world is amnesia, that the only way to come to grips with these problems is what we once, I once proposed when I was a foreign minister called a responsibility to protect. Mm. If a government can't protect its own people, then it's up to the international community to take some responsibility to support and help. And I think it's time that we sort of resurrected uh, that principle and started putting it to work uh, in, uh, certainly in the Gaza uh, situation. I think similarly in the Ukraine situation and in Sudan, there's a whole series of violence against civilians, which has become brutal and unrestrained. And I think it's it's leading the world into a kind of a downward spiral. I'm glad to speak with you about, about this, but actually, thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Matt. Lloyd Axworthy was Canada's Minister of Foreign Affairs from 1996 through 2000. He is the chair of the World Refugee and Migration Council. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.